Hello there, my brothers and sisters, my friends and lovers, my lemonade makers and my raucous shakers. Welcome to Making Lemonade, the podcast where we talk about how we take the lemons that life gives us in all the different flavors of lemonade that we as creatives and as people make throughout our lives. This is the podcast where we help you become the best creative you can be. This week we have a very different episode. So my friend, my confidant, a follower, a fan, a all-round really kind and humble young man contacted me about a month ago about doing an interview for his university uh, assessment. And it was on a true story. He was doing an interview about Supernova 2019, pre-Global Bastard, pre-pandemic. And he decided um, to interview me. So he sent me a few questions. I had a thank about them. And then we sat down and he allowed me, very graciously allowed me to record our conversation. I thought it would be an interesting experiment um, and an interesting listen for you guys because I'm often the one interviewing so and I don't often get interviewed. I have been but when I have been, it's not really been about my creative process or my creative work or my creative history. It's more about, um, you know, I've I've sat and done movie reviews or or done um, podcasts about movies and, and so on. So just talked smack. So, yeah, I thought I would just share that here with you guys. A little bit different here. Um, I, I assure you, this is not me being braggadocious. I assure you, this is not me being um, self-absorbed. I just thought it was a very fascinating conversation, and and Rob had some very fascinating uh, questions. So I just wanted to share that with my community here. Um, and 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 give you guys the opportunity to listen, sort of get a bit more depth into my own work and why I do what I do and, and why I'm so passionate about what I do. Please excuse me, my, my nose is all, it's this time of year, there's been a sudden cold snap here in Sydney, so my, I'm a little bit sniffly. Mahistamines and all that stuff, you know. So yeah, guys, um, Let's just get into the episode. Uh, I don't think I need any more introduction than that. It's about a 45-minute uh, interview conversation um, that I had with with Rob, and I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, this is me being interviewed. Thanks, Rob. See you guys on the other side. Well, nice to meet you, man. Finally, thank you for uh, kind of pulling me in. And um, how did you how did you find my work? Have you been following my work for a while, or? Um, well, I found. I think I first found your work. I think it was Supernova twenty eighteen, maybe. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and I got a couple of things there, and then kept coming back for each convention. Yes, I do recognize your face. It's been a while since I've been in a convention, but as soon as the video came up, I was like, oh. Hey, in my head. <laughs> oh, did we lose you? Hello. Ah, there you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah when, when, when your, when your um, face came up in the video, I was like, "Oh, I do know this guy." <laughs> Recall your face. So, what are you, what are you doing as far as, um, as uni? What's your, what's your course? Um, well, I'm majoring to be a teacher, but this is an elective unit about telling true stories. Ah, cool. Um, which, yes, writing is a bit of a passion, which is why it's an elective unit. But at this point, it's just a passion more than a career. But hey, find out what happens to it. Yeah, fascinating. That's awesome, man. All right. Yeah. Well, ask away. Um, okay. Hit me with your best shot. So, the first question How do you describe your art? How do I describe my art? I had a look at this question this morning and I. 
sort of thought of that. I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's a loaded question. Um, so I suppose how I describe my art is um, I've started to move away from more of a comic. I used to uh, identify as a comic book artist. Um, but in the previous year, um, I began to sort of question, particularly the last six months, I began to sort of question what that um, is and what my uh, how, how I like to identify my art. And I would definitely say um, I'm moving more into a pop art and character design realm. Um, as far as if you want to talk on a marketing sort of genre position, um, I'm starting to move away from a fan art position and starting to use the people and popular culture um, figures as a way to uh, question and identify um, sort of the way we idolize um, popular figures, the way we idolize celebrities um, and kind of likening that to the way, you know, maybe the Greeks idolized their gods or their kings or their emperors. Um, the way we as humans have historically idolized people, this is just um, to use a DC comics term, um, the new gods. Um, mm. And that's sort of where I'm headed with my work. So a lot of my uh, work right now, my personal work right now, is a pop art sense of is of a pop art sensibility, and what I'm trying to do with that work, um, and if people want to see more about this, this is on the about on my website. Um, there, yeah, I mean, I just commercialism is something I've always questioned and always played with as an idea, and mm. I really like that celebrity is something that we're a lot of people sort of look at celebrities and famous people as not people and i'm starting to question that and i'm starting to use my work to question that uh right now that's what it looks like it might evolve into something else but my art is my art is something that i um i identify as sort of parts of my own identity as well. Um, if I were to describe why I do my art or uh, as an extension or a sort of tangent on the side of what that, you know, the initial question you asked, my art is, I used to identify it as who I am, but now it's really um, what I think and what I believe um, and testing those uh, boundaries and emphasizing, um, I suppose, yeah, elements of myself and my history um, in all sorts of ways and my thought processes. Um, yeah, that's, that's sort of my work now. I'm, I'm testing a bit of surrealism as well. Mm -hmm. Um, which is really fun because it just tests the bounds of what your own reality is. And I'm playing with, I haven't released a lot of it, but I'm playing with a series of surrealism, um, especially in my paint, in my painting work. So yeah, I suppose if I were to describe it, that, that's a very long winded way to describe what my art is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's me. It's versions of me. It's elements of me. It's um, my brain. Um, but at the same time, it's me. I'm trying to move into a, a realm of it's me um, that is relatable. Like it's how I hope that when my work is put out there, I'm trying to put as many elements that I can see that others can relate to. We're all human beings. So, I'm trying to put those sort of human elements into my work that goes, oh yeah, I feel the same about that. You know, the same way to use a very big name, the same way a Pixar movie works is because you and I feel something that's that those filmmakers also feel as human beings. So it's trying to mix all those things together, elements of me and go, okay, um, this is what 
um, yeah, this is what my work looks like. It's, it's, it's commercially, it's a, it's a question on commercialism. It's a question on our, on the realities that we perceive as black and white. And it's a question on, you know, what makes us all the same as opposed to what makes us different. Um, and I think that's really where not only success comes from art, but that's where my art is lying right now, at least at this point in history. Yeah. So that's a, sorry, there's a long winded answer to that question, but yeah, that's a, as I said, it was a very loaded question. So, well, yes, it was. Um, well, you mentioned that you moved away from fan art. Was there a reason why you moved from fan art? Um, yeah, look, I started to question why I was doing the fan art in the first place. And the only answer that was coming up was um, to make money. And as good as that answer is, what I've noticed is that when I do attempt to make money, I can, there's a glass ceiling on that. When, when I'm making art just for the sake of making money, um, I can only go so far with that concept, concept before it starts to dissipate and I can only make so much money. Whereas what I started to realize was all the art, and then I just really started studying all the art that I loved outside of comic, like just began with comic books and moved out to all the other artistic realms, movies, cinema, television, sculpting, all that sort of stuff and started going, why is it that I love this work so much? And why would I spend, if I had it, millions of dollars on this work if I could um, and it, I realized it's because it said something to me it spoke to me and it, it, it said to me the, I see you so I started going okay well I want to make work like that I want to I, I want to stop making work that looks cool and and you know people are like oh I like that character and that's why it's selling and then you know this we could get into the whole thing of style that's a whole different um conversation but people were just buying my stuff because they enjoyed my style and they enjoyed my work but there was nothing beyond that so i wanted to start to really focus on saying something so if i do work that is fan art based like if it is you know for instance i do a lot of professional wrestling stuff now or i do a lot of star wars stuff or something like that i want it to be saying something with that material as well I want to be saying like, I'm drawing or painting this particular person or character in this particular light and I'm illustrating them in a particular light because I want to say this with that character. And this character says this to me and I hope that it says this to you as well. So that's mm. basically, um, yeah, why I decided that. It was just, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to feel like a shill or I just felt like, the main focus was making the money. And what I've noticed is when you're not focusing on making the money, you're actually focusing on making the art good and bringing value to others. And when that value is brought to others, that's when the money sort of follows. Like it's, mm. it's a catch 22. So I noticed that and I was like, okay, I want to start to have a business model more like that rather than, um, you know, the other way around. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, so why visual arts? Why not, I don't know, writing or music? Um, so there was a time where I was uh, pursuing a career in music production back when I left high school, um, way back in the, in the dark ages. Um, I pursued music. I pursued sort of um, hip-hop production, um, and it just felt, I couldn't find an avenue that felt me uh, because I didn't know who I was at the time. Mm. And a, a series of things happened where I just kind of went, you know, I don't want I, I lost, I lost a whole project um, when I had a laptop stolen and that sort of made me go, okay, I could redo all of that, but I just didn't feel this fire to redo it. I just wanted it all back so I could keep doing it. Um, whereas other work I've done subsequently, if I've lost it, I've just felt the fight to be like, well, I just got to redo it. And it, you know, um, but yeah, visual art was always around. I can't remember a time when drawing wasn't drawing or painting wasn't a thing in my life. Um, 
the, the three dimensions always made sense in a two-dimensional world to me. Um, I, I love toys. I love sculptures. I love the three dimensions. I love, you know, CG and all that sort of stuff. But I really, my brain, um, I'm sure if I tried, I would be able to wrap my head around it to a certain extent, but my brain just doesn't, it doesn't work in that world. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem to click in those certain elements don't click. I can, I know how a 3d shape works in the, in this very obscure 2d world. And I, I really love the illusion of the two dimensions and the visual art world. Um, I mean, I suppose the three dimensional world is, is visual art in saying that, but yeah, visual, visual art was just something I've always been a visual person. I'm a, I'm one of these people who is, extremely susceptible the way that some people just can hear a an instrument or um hear a voice or you know maybe do a particular exercise and it just they just become addicted and obsessed to it i have a high sensibility to color and color itself, visual, I was, I, I, I have ADHD. And so growing up, I was a visual learner. And then I found that color was just something that just amazed me. I mean, even just this afternoon, I was driving and I just spotted these clouds that had these magnificent colors going on. And I had to stop and pull over on the side of the road and take a photo of it because it just blew my mind because I felt this guttural in my soul feeling of like this is just incredible i have to capture this somehow and just take a moment to take all of this in so the visual realm i was always a movie fan i was always a television fan i was always i always loved it took me until about a year ago to really or about two or three years ago years ago to really get into the written word because and that's i always read comic books i can't remember a time when i didn't I wasn't reading Mad Magazine or The Phantom or Batman or whatever it was. It just, the visual world was always where I thrived. And obviously comic books are that brightly colored. I mean, not the ones from our generation, but the earlier, you sort of Kirby, Jack Kirby is one of my favorites. It's just that neon colors and just these bright, they, it sets off the dopamine sensors in my brain that just, they just fire like crazy and I feel this sensibility that's, for lack of a better term, almost at times orgasmic because it's just this high sensitivity, the same way that some people can listen to, like I said, a particular. So when you listen to that one song you've never heard before and all you want to do is listen to it over and over and over again because something about that saxophone solo or that guitar solo or whatever just gets you in your soul. It's the same thing for me with color. And I just wanted to, I, I, I was always driven towards art and, and painting and so on, but I just wanted to bring that color, my version of that color to the world. So visual art was always in the forefront of my mind. So, and yeah, it, it's almost like I was supposed to do that. I was wired from birth to just create visual work it's 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 very mumbo it's very i know some people will call it woo, woo i don't really care if you feel that way but yeah that's sort of what it is i just feel very I, from a from a very young age from like before i could remember just very wired towards yeah. that sort of sort of thing yeah well that's good it was a very powerful answer <laughs> thank you hey next question um so you're a very community-driven artist, I've noticed. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say are the highlights of your community? The highlights of my community? Um, that's a very good question. The, I, I realised at an early sort of stage in my career that because I wasn't... Um, because I wanted to build a following and I wanted to build a following, a positive following um, around my work, that community was something that absolutely needed to be necessary. Um, 
And in doing so, I noticed what I had to do a lot of thinking of what I do and don't want around my work um, and around my community. And I, I felt very protective of the people who supported me. Um, And I felt almost like this, you know, in a way it, it was a leader of this sort of community around my work because there were so many people who so kindly appreciated what I did and who I was and, you know, would like yourself would come back to conventions every single year and I would slowly start to see the same faces and um, see p- people sort of grow up around my stuff. And then, that, then people would start to ask me questions. When, when people started asking me questions, that's when I was like, okay, I've got, I've got something here. I just need to know exactly what this is. And so when I sort of realized that the best way to build this this thing I want to build, this creative um, industry disturber sort of disruption system was I started looking at what I didn't like in the in, in our industry, um, what wasn't working for the individuals, what wasn't working for those who supported the individuals, um, whether being in the comic book industry, whether being in the um, all around art industry. Um, and I realized I wanted to be something that stood out that was a positive. And I, I haven't always done positive things, but I think the highlights, to come back around to your question, the highlights of my community have been when, when people have backed my decisions or when people have stood up for what I was standing up for without me even asking them. Um, I have a very strong affinity towards those sorts of individuals who I found this when I started on TikTok, for instance, Um, that was a very surprising community that, Uh, grew very quickly and organically. And last year, because everyone was sort of stuck at home, I found it grew and I was able to entertain others as well as myself and distract people. And in doing that, when when I made some pivots to sort of talk about things like BLM or anything I believed in last year, um, I found that, you know, I knew people would move away because I would get a lot of that. Like, Oh, I came here for the star Wars content or I came here for the art content. I don't want any of this. And I sort of realized, you know, but it's all connected. Like it's all, Mm. it's all, it's all should be connected because we're making like art is one of the most important things to the serious stuff in the world. The things that are important in the world, because we're the ones that are onto it first and we're the ones that shouldn't be afraid to speak about it because we lead the pack um, because we are outliers. And you can only do that if you are an outlier. You can only speak to those serious things if you are already not afraid to be an outlier in society and say, you know what, fuck your nine to five. I'm going to do what you do and what you said I should do in school my way. And I'm going to make this happen off the back of my art practice and prove to myself that this is going to happen. And when you have the courage to do that, you then have to have the courage to stand up and say, you know what, that's not working in our society. So I I want to say something about that. And I noticed in coming back to the question, when I started saying things that meant something to me and that were important that I felt were important that needed to be said. There were people that backed me when other individuals did not. And that was just shocking to me. <laughs> like it was, it was beautiful because those communities 
in a time when it was very divisive and we we're all very afraid and we're especially, you know, being 2020, that was a highlight to me when, when I wasn't feeling particularly confident, when I was feeling very afraid of the future. And I felt like because I gave some people something to um, be entertained by or distracted by or um, look towards, although my following isn't comparatively massive, my community is very loyal and strong because I did the work and also I found I I just wasn't afraid to say what I felt, which meant I could. And I also wasn't afraid to say, you know what? I don't want you part of my community. I wasn't afraid to say in a social media context, I have a long list of people who are blocked. Like TikTok is a big list. Um, and it's because I wasn't trying to shill to a mainstream audience. I knew what I wanted from my community and I knew I wanted to be one. If it meant it was going to be smaller and more precise, that was more important to me than larger and more chaotic <laughs> and out of control and, and divisive um, like some people's community. And that's not to say people who do that is, are wrong. It's just, it wasn't what I wanted. So to, to come back full circle to the question, the highlight of my community was that I was able to build a community and find my people and find mm -hmm. my tribe and find people that believed in what I believed in. Um, and yeah. that was, and, and who were willing to stand up for what I believed in, which was mind blowing. <laughs> like still to this day, it's very surreal to think that there's people out there that were like, yes, I'm going to support you and I'm going to um, stand up because I believe the same thing as you do, which is just yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what about podcasts? It's a relatively new thing, I suppose. It's what, two years old now in your categories, but why podcasts? What brought you to that? Um, yeah, my podcast is probably, I think it's coming into its third, third year. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've been a little bit lazy on it. Um, well, not lazy. I intentionally haven't been doing very many episodes recently. Uh, I'm just trying to focus on business goals. But yeah, as far as the podcast goes, I had been an avid listener since a very early age. Um, I would like to say I was one of the early guys, but I think, I'd, I think I've been listening to podcasts for uh, the better part of 10 years. I wouldn't say 10 years, but since I was about 20, so that makes it about six or seven years, um, especially the whole of my creative career. Um, yeah, it just seemed like, it seemed, to me, listening to those early years of podcasts, there weren't very many out there and it was such a powerful medium even back then. Um, I mean, you look at what Rogan's been able to achieve, what Kevin Smith has been able to achieve, people like, um, even people like Rebel Force Radio who were one of the first Star Wars fans who made a podcast and it that was one of the early ones I listened to it's a medium that is so it's long form and it's allowed people to take back the, to fight back against the media. Like there's plenty of, to, to use a Rogan example, there's plenty of examples where people who weren't allowed in a traditional media sense, sort of time to speak about themselves um, and speak for themselves in a long form have gone on his podcast over the years and, Speaking for spoken for three or four hours at a time about their beliefs and really been able to give who they are, not their marketed version of them that whatever company or media system decides to do. And in doing that, but at the same time, you know, I was listening to these great podcasts where Kevin Smith did the early years of Fat Man on Batman was just like, it was just a podcast about Batman, which blew my mind it was like, he sat down and interviewed people who had worked on Batman, which would never have happened in any other medium. Um, it just, it didn't make sense in any other medium. You'd get maybe a half an hour TV show and it'd be excessively edited and censored. And 
whereas he managed to sit down for an hour and a half, two hours in some instances with people like Mark Hamill um, and not uh, the entire two hours. They don't talk about Star Wars. They just talk about him being the Joker. And that blew my mind in the early years. And I, the idea started at a very, very early age when I was listening to podcast. It'd be cool to do this, but I don't know what kind of one I wanted to do. And as I started building a career and realizing, you know, it's a, not only a great place to sort of market your own work and you've got a, it's almost the new version of a mailing list in, in the sense of a marketing, um, a marketing campaign, you, you, you're direct to consumer. But at the same time, it was the perfect place to bring on all the people I admired who people didn't know about. Um, when I first started doing interviews, I had these friends who were in the comic book industry or the art industry. And I sat down and I was like, I've got to have you guys on. Like I'd speak to them at conventions and whatever. And I'm like, these people are fascinating, like absolutely fascinating. And no one knows about them. They're just, and particularly now, one of my main goals is, you know, when I was doing sound production, I kind of realized you don't have to be Michael Jackson or Bono or Madonna or to use a more a less dated example, you know, a, a Miley Cyrus to be a professional musician, you or Ed Sheeran, you can be a professional. Like my teachers were professional musicians. My, my friends in class were professional musicians and they didn't have a famous name. So I started to go, well, obviously you could do that in the, in the, ex, the extended art world. And that's where the idea for the podcast came was like, I started meeting these individuals who were professional artists or working on becoming professional artists. And hopefully in me bolstering myself up, I could bolster them up and not make them famous. I wasn't trying to make a famous podcast by any means. And it's, it's not by any means. It was just a place to go. I want to get whatever community I have understanding that because lots of my community comes to me because they are looking to do what I do in lots of instances, or they just admire what I do. And hopefully some of those people like myself were thinking, Oh, I'd have to be a Jim Lee or a Pablo Picasso or a, you know, you name it to be an artist as a professional. And that's what I was trying to do with the podcast from the very, very early years was I just want, these people to know that there is people out there who are just crushing it and kicking butt and they may have day jobs now, some of them, and they may, but they're, they're making a living and they're, they're working in the professional artists and you don't know their names. <laughs> like they're not household names. So that was sort of the goal with my podcast and why I wanted to, you know, and obviously because it was a great long form interview. I love, as you can tell, I love it, love to talk to people and, just get to know and hear their stories and just allow. And then at the same time, help people. That was the other thing that was like, I had so much knowledge up here that I'd learned through my professional career that I was like, I got to get some of this out somewhere. I go get this in a place that's recorded. Um, And then eventually when I had kids, it was like, this is going to be a whole data system that if, you know, knock on wood and, and whatever, God forbid anything happened to me, there is hours of recordings of me, hours and hours of recordings of me that they can always go back to. Whereas if something had happened to my dad, I'd, I'd struggle to find anything where I could hear his voice or hear. And so it just became constantly layered and to avoid another tangent, but it just became constantly layered um, reasons why I was doing this. And I just continued to do it. Yeah. Um, I suppose I suppose it kind of answered the question as well. But is there a bit of an origin to the lemonade stand specifically? Beyond- yeah, it, I mean, it's it started with uh, making lemonade. So um, making lemonade, the idea of making lemonade came from a Gang of Youth song. Um, the name of the song is escaping me right now, but the, the lyric in the in the song is. Um, What's the lyric in the song? He says, uh, not everything is as easy as making lemonade. Mm. Um, and I love that line. Uh, it just, it's, it's burnt into my memory. And I thought about that 
in a in a context of art and was like okay that's a perfect um, name for a for an art podcast not everything is as easy as making lemonade um, not everything is as easy as making art and then from there on the brand just extended um, and I was like okay you know how can we take this this idea and turn it into you know we were doing market stalls at conventions and so you can turn it into a lemonade stand it's an it's also an entrepreneurial symbol um, you know a lot of entrepreneurs begin as a lemonade you know they make lemonade as kids um, and that was really where it came from and it just kind of extended from there fair enough um so i suppose from the making lemonade podcast is there one kind of overarching message from all of it that you want people to get out of it um yeah i mean with our branding and with our podcast If I could distill it into one statement, it would be, um, and this is where I'm sort of headed with uh, most of my teaching, uh, my podcasting, my, you know, when I say teaching, that sort of extends into um, I tutor, I teach, I coach, and I um, do the podcast, and they're all, you know, under the same sort of umbrella but the, the sort of the one statement I, I like to use is you are an artist um, which is basically a symbol for everybody is an artist we're all capable of being creative um, and the, the creative industry doesn't love that um, as a whole because it means there's more competition um, but really creativity is not something it's something we're all born with. Um, we all draw as kids and so on. We all write, we all read, we all paint, we all... It's just that some people have a little bit more of a proclivity and a calling to it and others not so much. Um, or they get caught up in, 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 a, in you know, a modern world and they have to get a job and go to uni and rah, rah, rah. But we're, we're all capable of being some sort of creative. So that's sort of the overarching message. Um, I mean, um, there's a lot of other things we we stand for as well and speak on our, our mission statement is um, create more creators. Um, and that's sort of the teaching process as well. And that's why I started teaching. That's why I started coaching and tutoring um, and so on. And my mission statement is make art today to change tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, that is the biggest one for me. Um, because it really changed. And as long as, as long as everything, everything I do, I run through those three filters. Um, am I making art to change tomorrow? Um, am I creating more? Is this helping create more creators? And um, is this helping teach, tell others and show others that they are creatives and they can be creatives? Yeah. Um, yeah. I can definitely see that through all the work and that makes sense. Um, Cause yes, you have a very inspirational position in a lot of your work, which is a good thing. Uh, thank <laughs> you. I'm, gl thing. I'm glad that I'm glad that comes through. <laughs> I'm glad it's coming through. So um, uh, sometimes I worry that, um, that it's not quite, the message isn't quite getting there. Um, but yeah, you, you know, I do, I do my best. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. So on to another community driven thing. Um, what about conventions? What made you decide to do conventions? Ah, well, it was the first convention I went to really, um, which was Supernova. Um, I didn't really know about Oz Comic Con at that time. I know a few people came in through Oz Comic Con first um, that I know, but I, I did a one year. I, I didn't know, like I, I, a lot of people in that, in our, in that community knew about conventions from a very young age. I, my first comic book convention was when I was 20, 19, 20, maybe 21. Um, and I went to supernova. I was working on a comic at the time, um, which it's probably never going to see the light of day. It's a, in hindsight, not, it was more of an experimental thing, um, more of a training process. But um, yeah, I really wanted to get into that world. So I just went to this convention, just got into some cosplay, um, then saw that there was some 
bigger companies, went and met, went, you know, spent hours in Artist Alley and just talking to all these artists. Like it was one of the first times I realized you could be a professional artist. Um, like I was saying earlier. And yeah, I was at these conventions sort of and going, holy crap, this is a world I never knew existed. And I wish I knew existed at an earlier age because I might've gotten into this a little bit quicker. Um, but as far as conventions, the reason why I got into conventions was just because I saw Artist Alley and went, whoa, um, that's cool. I want, I want to be behind one of those tables one day and made it a goal. Um, and when I met my current partner, um, she said, why not? Uh, she was sort of the linchpin that went, you know, how much is it going to cost you? How much is the store going to cost you? And I said, you know, this much It's like 200 bucks at that time. It's double that price now, but um, yeah, it's going to cost this much. You know, you, it'll take you this long to save and rah, 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 This is how much let's get some prints going. And I, I only had four or five prints at the time, maybe six or seven, barely enough to cover a wall. Um, and I just went for it. Um, and I just went, you know, that's one of my goals. I want to just get behind one of those stalls one day. And I got the bug for a few years there. Um, and I'm sort of dying down on conventions this year. It's not that I'm not doing them. I'm just, um, yeah, just kind of reimagining my practice and seeing what conventions mean to me now. Like they, they meant a very different thing two years ago, back in 2019. Um, and they meant a very, very different thing in 2020. I was ready to go touring and I had a lot of dates booked uh, when I was doing like one or two conventions. I had booked and scheduled like one or two conventions a month, uh, if not more in some months last year. I was ready to really sink my teeth into the convention world and then sort of reevaluated it um, and, re and decided I wanted to do more teaching um, and more helping others to become creative so yeah i mean that's where conventions came from um just doing just going to one and being like i gotta do this this is awesome <laughs> like i gotta be one of these guys so yeah yeah um what are your highlights of conventions what's the best bits uh highlights of conventions um the relationships i made uh both with uh supporters of my work as well as uh, people I work with, I have um, gone into business ventures previously with people I met at conventions. Um, you know, we created the Lost Boys. Um, we doing doing things like Inktober with with a community of of people, um, having having sort of some people to bounce off of and to discuss with during that time, especially last year having people to, who, who, who I could relate with. Um, meeting. I mean, I didn't meet very many celebrities, but in my world, they were celebrities. Like one of the biggest highlights to me was meeting the guys who helped, um, help Jim Lee work on hush. Like, his inker and his colorist that was like getting that was like being it was like meeting god's right hand man to me at the time that was they signed my book and sinclair had said to me you know he opened up the book and he said i had this very old tattered version of hush and i said look i gotta get you to sign this i've seen you here all weekend i gotta and he said to me he goes, it's really cool to see a loved and, 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 and sort of tortured book. He goes, people always come to me with versions of these books that they've just bought and they're perfect and they go and put it in plastic and everything. He said, this is clearly your, your book. Such a yeah. small thing, but he was like, this is clearly yours. You've loved this for years. And he's like, I can see it's a little bit ripped and tattered and you've taped it up. And I'm like, yeah, like this is my version. And to have you sign this for me, this is going to be handed on to my kids. I'm not selling this. I don't want your signature to sell this. I don't want to make money off the back of you. I just want, I just want to be able to say like I met you, and um, this is a book that was so informative to me in my early years as a, as an artist, just an artist, not even just a comic book artist, as an artist. Um, 
Uh, and I mean, that was a highlight. I, there was a few, you know, meeting certain people that I admired in, in our industry, like um, John Somariva and um, who else have I met that blew my mind? Just certain individuals. I mean, I could be here for hours trying to figure it out, but just, and, and meeting people who, who really admired my stuff and, and um, people like yourself and, and others who came along and kept coming along every year and just meeting like-minded people. Um, that's really been my highlight for, mm. for the convention scene for sure. Yeah. Um, so yes, cast our minds back to 2019 before the Rona. <laughs> um, so you mentioned at, in 2019, conventions were a very different thing to what they were now to you. Can you kind of highlight what the differences were? Yeah. Um, look, conventions were pretty much my whole business model. <laughs> um, all the work I was doing would lead would be leading up to the next convention. Um, I spent months working on you know pieces of art for the next convention. I I found myself working on trends to sell work for the next convention. Um, and it was, it was my world for a time. Um, it was my, it was what I was, so that community was what I was surrounded by back then. And I was, like I said, I was ready to just really sink my teeth into it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, probably the, the short and, short and long of it would be it was my business model it was my it was the place where it was also it was also a validation system for me and that's why I started to reevaluate it because I wanted to wanted to sort of change that a little bit yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah um can what are some of the highlights from that year if you remember any uh some of the highlights from that year 2019 let's have a think um oh man it feels like a lifetime ago mm. um twenty nineteen as far as well as far as conventions go we i really sunk my teeth into um, pushing my work into its own space. Um, I really started to get my stride as a entrepreneur and understanding how to sell my work. Um, I met a lot of really cool, I mean, that was the year we start, we began the Lost Boys. That was the year we sort of started our, um, we started making a lot of merchandise, you know, pins and stuff like that. Um, we did a lot of, there was a lot of, a few conventions where we sort of sold out of a lot of things and that was a massive highlight. Mm. Um, but away from sort of the business side of it, I think some highlights of that year were, um, what did I do that year? Oh, Comic Gong was a massive highlight. Um, I felt like that year I was really made part of the family because uh, it was the second or third year I'd done that convention. Um, I remember sort of walking into that convention and, and uh, most people remembering who I was, especially the staff. They were really accommodating, um, as, as they always are. But it was like, a, oh, you're, a, you're now part of the group, family, so on. Um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard for me to sort of remember back that far. Um, but yeah, I just sort of that's when I started to ramp up how many I was doing. Um, I did a few interstate ones that year as well. Um, I think I did. I can't really remember. Um, but yeah, I suppose those are really the highlights. It was just uh, it was more around the community. It was more around um, the work I was doing really really that year um started to ramp up and start to find its own 
And without 2019, as far as my work, I don't think I would be as comfortable with my work in 2021 because 2020, I got a chance to really just go into training mode um, in the sense of the same way sort of a sport, an athlete would have gone into like, I'm just going to hit the gym every single freaking day because I'm not going to do anything else this year. That was sort of the same for me. It was like, I'm not, I don't have to focus on selling things um, at conventions this year. So I'm going to focus on getting the work better. And because in 2019, I really, something clicked in my work um, and it started to click extensively in my relationships and the community and so on and the convent, which extended to the conventions, my work wouldn't be at a place now where I'm like very confident in the work. So now I can go, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to, if I hadn't have gotten that good, if I hadn't clicked that year, I wouldn't feel like I could teach this year, for instance. Um, I wouldn't feel like my work was, there was a, a long time where I wasn't very confident in my work and I still put it out there. Um, but yeah, that was the first year I really felt very confident in my work. Um, so yeah, I suppose that was really a highlight as well. Yeah. Um, I suppose you talked a lot about moving away from conventions. Do you think conventions were worth it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I found, I found every time I did a convention, it just upped my, you know, it's repetition. So it's whether it was conventions or whether it was market stalls, um, I became really good at selling. Uh, I found out I had personally, and I've, I've heard this from others, I found out I had a really great um, understanding of the people on the other side of the table um, and learning how to understand yeah. the people on the other side of the table. There's a lot of people who do markets and conventions who just sit there and expect the work to sell itself and, you know, for some people that works. Um, but for people like my friend Jackson Caspers, even he has said to me previously over the years that he still has to sell his work. He has a very loyal and very large comparatively um, following that allows him to, to work full-time and do convention, conventions full-time. But it doesn't mean he doesn't work. It doesn't mean he doesn't market and sell. So absolutely they're worth it because it's just another platform. I, try, I mean, I try to teach the people that I teach that any platform you have, you need to use it to the, to the nth degree. Any platform you can get, whether in person or online, is absolutely worth it if you're willing to do the work to figure out how it works for you. Hmm. Um, sorry, my phone's going off. Um, yeah, absolutely. They're worth it. Um, it's not that I don't think it's worth it to me now. Uh, there will always be in some capacity part of my, uh, part of my work. And um, I hold a very fond place for conventions in my heart um, because they sort of, taught me so much um so yeah i mean if, if we're talking in the instance of someone who's looking to move into that space absolutely definitely get yourself out there get your face out there um be vulnerable it taught me how to be vulnerable and not afraid of uh because here's the thing you can put your work online and people can say whatever the fuck they want about it but nine times out of ten people aren't going to say that to your face um, I have people all the time, especially on places like Reddit and all that, like telling me it's traced, but I've never had anyone tell me that in, in person because the people who are telling me that, what I noticed is to go off on a little bit of a tangent though, those people are afraid to do the work. They don't do the work. They're afraid of their own work. So it's easier to criticize than it is to actually do the work. So once you get to a place where you can go, you know what? Um, so yeah, don't be afraid. And the reason why I say that is anyone who is absolutely listening to this, um, don't be afraid. And even to yourself, don't, don't be afraid to do, to put your work out there because you're in a very small margin of people who actually do. 
You know, there's 200 people at, at any given supernova, but there's, there's, you know, I don't know what kind of numbers they do at a, a regular supernova, but I'm going to say it's somewhere in the tens of thousands, maybe um, over a weekend. It's a very large number of people. Um, it's definitely in the um, above, you know, somewhere between five and 10,000 people a weekend, if not more. That's 200 people out of potentially five to 10,000 people who are actually willing to put themselves out there. So um, any platform you can get is absolutely worth it. And so is conventions because it's just another learning curve and another place to learn, you know, how your work interacts with the people, how your work interacts with. Um, I found the same with doing classes and workshops and everything. You're going to learn. The only way you're going to learn is to just do it, just to get out there and figure out what works and what doesn't. It's a perfect place to get really good feedback. Um, it's a perfect place to get feedback on. You're literally face-to-face with the customer. And um, and you don't have to do the annoying stall guy who's like, hey, give me the apples. I got apples for 25 cents. Come, come give it. You, you just stand there and you just wait and watch and, and, and see what people do and how people interact with your work and you'll find what works and you'll find what don't. I've so I've had so much art that I've put out there that just I still to this day haven't sold a single piece of it. So but yeah again long-winded answer but absolutely they're worth it. Um any platform is worth it. Um if you're willing to put yourself out there and you if, if you want to if you want to be a professional you you have to be willing to put yourself out there. Otherwise you're not going to get the results you're looking for. You, you get out of it what you put in. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, that was basically my last question. My last question is what is the best way to support your art? What is the best way to support my art? Um, there's multiple ways. My online shop's a little bit all over the place right now. I'm doing a bit of a uh, clear out of stock. Um, but the best way to support my art is just social media. Um, my website is jordanmorpeth.com. Um, my social media, Jordan Morpeth Art, uh, on Instagram uh, and Facebook. Um, yeah, most of my stuff is on, is on my website. Um, where else can you... I suppose, yeah, it's right now social media because everything's kind of being funneled through that. Um, and yeah, listen, listen to podcasts, Making Lemonade. Um, that's a really good way to support. Um, and if, if you ever see me at a convention, just come and say hi. I, I'm mainly doing client work right now in commission work. So I have an Etsy. Actually, that's a, I have an Etsy. So just look up the lemonade stand on Etsy um, and you'll be able to find... Uh, most of what I'm selling right now, reasonably cheap stuff. We've got commission work on there and stuff as well. So that's that's probably the best way to support right now. We're a little, I'm a little bit all over the place as far as stock and everything goes with um, work. But yeah, social media, Etsy, website, really. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for that. That's all the questions I have. Oh, not a problem. Thank you. That was fun. That was um, that was nice. Nice for a change. <laughs> Well, yes, it was, it was very insightful. I'm, I'm glad you agreed to talk. Oh, I'm glad you you reached out as well. When I saw it, I was like, absolutely, man, that sounds that sounds wild. So from, from here out, what do you sort of, is this for an assessment, particular assessment or what's it? Yeah, um, so I have an assessment task, this major, major piece of writing I've got to do. And it's basically, I've just got to write a true story. Um, and I'm kind of going for supernova 2019 as my kind of grounding place um and so i tried to reach out to most of the artists i was talking to at supernova and kind of get their side of the story so i can get kind of the point of it a bit better okay it's more than just a fan um and it's been very insightful <laughs> get behind the tables eh Mm. so to speak who was it the who else have you spoken to so far um i've spoken to boy on a string and i yep. was ending on speaking to shree reeves as well okay but i'm heard back from him so i don't imagine that one okay cool 
Awesome, man. Well, I'm, I'm very honored to um, have been a part of it. And thank you for allowing me to um, sort of record this. Um, it'll allow me to have a little bit more time to put together another episode in the following week. So <laughs> um, hopefully it's insightful for other people as well. I don't really get a chance to. Um, I've, I can't remember the last time I've been interviewed. Oh, it might have been couple of years ago but yeah thank you man i really appreciate that um stay in touch eh? i'll um i'll leave you to it i won't take up any more of your time but um thank you for the the privilege of your time and for just sitting and listening to me it's um as a as an interviewer it's weird to <laughs> be the guy on the other side um on the other side of the interview normally i'm doing what you do and just sit there and listen and interject every so often and ask a question so um yeah thanks man i appreciate well, it um well yeah when i'm done with the article i'll send you a copy yeah, fantastic like yeah i'd love to see it man I'd, I'm, I'm i'm excited to see what hopefully there's not too much you have to translate and transcribe <laughs> i hope there's not too much going on for you but um yeah man i appreciate that thank you so much um and i'll, I'll leave you to your day have a wonderful weekend yes, stay safe too. stay yeah. cool stay weird so that was a fascinating episode um, what did you guys think? Did you did you like hearing more about me? Do you like me being interviewed? I'm sure I can set up some more interviews with other people, but I think um, I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed being a part of it. Um, I just want to thank Rob for some really really entertaining and interesting questions, um, really thought provoking questions, and uh, he really got me going on some tangents there. So, but guys. As I said last week, um, if you want to, if you want to find any of my work, please go to jordanmorpeth.com. You can find me Jordan Morpeth Art on Instagram, Jordan Can Draw on TikTok, Jordan Morpeth on Twitter. Um, right now, I am running some workshops here in Sydney, um, in the Glen Haven area. Uh, I am running a. Um, I'm. I've just begun my mindset. A creative mindset coaching business so if you are interested um, at all in getting a little bit more in-depth mindset work for your creative practice and for your creative career um, please please go to jordanmorpeth.com click the coaching button or even go to jordanmorpeth.com forward slash forward slash coaching fill out the sign up form and we'll start having a chat today I'm looking at getting some people in uh, to start with and to really get my chops going as well see if I can really help you see if I I, I am the right person to help you um, sometimes I'm not and sometimes I am so uh, if you are interested in that please go there it's free you can get a free consultation free one hour consultation with me um, we'll discover what you need and if I can help you with that and um, there's no pressure, no sign-up fee, no nothing. Um, I also have tutoring. If you've got kids who uh, need tutoring in drawing, uh, you can go to jordanmorpeth.com forward slash tutoring or just go to jordanmorpeth.com homepage and click the tutoring button and sign up there. And the same thing, we'll get a free consultation going. Um, we'll get a free uh, conversation going and we'll see if you really are interested in drawing and if you really want to learn um, get really more in depth so that's it for me ladies and gentlemen um, thank you again to rob ankin i think it's ankin it looks like it's spelled anakin <laughs> sorry if i stuffed up your name and butchered your last name there rob but you are a legend my friend and i can't wait to see you at another convention um, i really appreciate your time and i really appreciate the privilege to have sat down with you and, and, and done this interview um, once the article is up, I will definitely let you all know as well. He's working on an article for his for his assessment. So, but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Making Lemonade. I've been your host, Jordan, and as always, never forget, stay weird, guys.
to myself. 